0: You're listening to the weekly Joel Klatt segment podcast. Listen to it live every Wednesday between 8 and 8.30 a.m. during the football season. Presented exclusively by Audi Flatirons in Broomfield. Exceeding your experience from the first mile to the last. Can you make this quick? I got a meeting. About Norris Weiss. That was in a time when the NFL, I mean, that that was dark ages compared to even when Jake was playing. All right, Joel Klatt. Very anxious. Yeah. Does not like to be kept waiting. No, he doesn't. Joel Klatt joins us, lead college football analyst for Fox. He is presented by Audi Flatirons,
1: and he joins us now. I, I, I got all the time in the world, man. I'm just sitting in traffic on the 405.
0: There's traffic in L.A.? Oh,
1: uh, brutal. How bad is it? Seriously. Um. So I live basically the equivalent from, from the studio in L.A. I live the equivalent of what it would be like driving from... Little Sander Highlands Ranch up to Boulder. And it takes me about two hours and 15 minutes if I leave at 6 a.m. Oh. Oh.
0: That's at 6 a.m.? So if you yeah, if you like, tried to make the same don't ride. Even
1: try, don't even try if you leave at
0: 7. All right. If you left at 7, how long would it take you? Uh, you wouldn't do that. You just wouldn't do it.
1: You'd try to <laughs> take a helicopter. <laughs>
0: What about back rows? You get on like ways and it drives you through somebody's driveway into their backyard and stuff. Have you you done that? No,
1: no, that would be worse. Uh, you can do back roads in Denver. You cannot do that in, in Los Angeles. Like if you went up and you tried to do back roads, it would take, I mean, it would take four or five hours. Gosh, that's
0: awful. All right. So it is really that bad. It is, it is that, it is that (laughs) bad. Speaking of that bad, um, you know, things that just, uh, I don't know, annoy me or, uh, you know, get under my skin a little bit. <laughs> Odell Beckham Jr. is available. Uh, he cleared waivers. And uh, you're a general manager in the National Football League or you're operating in Denver. Uh, any interest in Odell Beckham Jr. if you're running a football team?
1: Not after you saw the addition via subtraction for the Cleveland Browns. I mean, they look the best that they've looked in, I don't know, the Mayfield era. The week that he leaves the building, it was almost like a big sigh of relief. I don't think it can be, um, uh, overstated the, the effect of locker room culture on the performance on the field. I think there are some teams that, that have gotten away with, you know, bringing in guys with checkered pass or reputations that are maybe not the, the shiniest in NFL circles. But what they generally have, the teams that get away with it, namely like the Patriots under Tom Brady, is a foundational piece in the locker room that holds those new pieces accountable, right? So there's there is a standard for those those individuals that one, they know that they'll just get thrown out the next day if they do anything wrong, and two, like they're no longer the big fish, and and in Denver that would not be the case for Odell. So no, I mean. Everything that you just said was correct. Like, they actually have, for as bad as it seems to have been this year, and in particular with with the offensive coaching uh, and the game plans, they are all of a sudden in a position to actually do something. And I don't think that they have the type of locker room that could survive bringing in what seems to be a a culture cancer like Odell Beckham.
0: Were you like most of Broncos country who sat down and watched the Broncos-Cowboys game and went, where did that come from?
1: Yes. What in the world? What was that forty one minutes time of possession? Out rushing him like that? Dallas didn't do a thing. I mean, the the defensive performance was outstanding. The week Von Miller gets traded, all of a sudden you're just taking one of the best offenses in the in the entire National Football League and you're basically stuffing him in a locker? Like what where did that come from? Which As great as it was on Sunday, uh, did did any of you, as I did on Sunday afternoon or even evening, think to yourself like, well, why couldn't they do that all the time? It was almost more frustrating that we saw that on the road against a team that, let's face it, had some Super Bowl aspirations. And I don't know if they do anymore after a loss like that to a 500 Broncos team at the time, but man, that was... As equal, like, as high as it was to watch it, and man, this is fun. 30 to nothing. You never get to see a route like that in the NFL. Everything's a one-possession game. Everything's a game like Mark called in, in Baltimore, which was a phenomenal game. Like, everything is like that. That's the way the league is built. You never get to sit there and enjoy a blowout. And there we are 30 to nothing. And it, and as euphoric as that was, didn't didn't any of you, as I did on Sunday afternoon and evening, think to yourself, well, that's bull crap that we don't see that more often. Maybe not to that extent, but if anything close to that of, of some sort of competitive consistency from this team. I, I mean, it was an incredible performance, and it made me even more frustrated Sunday night. Maybe I'm just an angry person. I don't know, but I, it, it actually did make me frustrated. All right, so here's my
0: question for you. It's easy to be committed to the running game when your running backs are ripping it off at seven yards a carry that's that's like yep. to me that's easy. It's yep. hard when all of a sudden you have two or three runs in a row that are two yards per. It's hard. Can Pat Shermer learn from
1: the errors of his no. past ways?
0: Ha! Didn't even get the question yeah. out. Can, can he? No. Can he learn? I mean, can he learn? Guy,
1: this, this guy's stripes are are dyed in with ink, and and I think it's. I mean, I. I've hoped for, I don't know, you know, how many games in a row now that we would see him have this commitment, uh, like a a commitment level to the run game that would, that would be complimentary and win the time of possession and and eventually find success. You know, the the amount of play callers, both college and, and pro football, that get bored with the run game if it's not ripping off large runs and then they abandon it is staggering. Like, guys do it all the time. I thought Ohio State did it in my game against Nebraska on Saturday. And it, it just doesn't make any sense to me because what what you do know, and you were a part of teams like this. Now, granted, you were, that Broncos late 90s run, that was some of the best rushing game in the history of the like, league. You guys used to rip off long runs a lot. But I don't think it was necessarily, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think it was necessarily that case all the time. And and I don't think it was certainly that case when you were in Washington. But what you did know, Stink, was that if you committed to it and you threw those body shots enough early in the game, late in the game you would be able to control the game with the run. And and that's what I, I think is lost on today's play caller is that they feel like they need to be successful with the run game at all times rather than committing to it for what it will give you later in the game. And that's one of my big frustrations with Pat Shermer and watching his offenses during the course of his tenure.
0: I want to go back to what you had to say about OBJ and the Browns in maybe different ways where the Broncos inspired, motivated, liberated at all by the departure of Von Miller.
1: I mean, it's, it's so difficult to say because he was such a, a heartbeat piece and foundational piece to a championship, right? I mean, like he, he was the main piece of a Super Bowl winning team. And obviously Odell has never been close to that. So I, that's a tough comparison for me. And maybe I'm just looking through the, you know, the orange colored glasses, if you will, of a Bronco fan, but I, I, respected and thought more of of miller than what i do of odell beckham and i think what he meant to that organization um was 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 better but i maybe maybe if anything mike it put everyone on notice that listen you're playing for your job and maybe that motivation is what we saw on the field on sunday
0: yeah i think i mean i think there's I think there's something to that. I think the other thing is don't underestimate, or you can underestimate, um, when your organization is basically saying, "Hey, we're we're punting on the season because we don't believe in you guys, and we're trading, you know, the face of our franchise away, giving an opportunity to be a playoff team." And and what message, you know, when you, when you get that message in the locker room, what message that sends is, you know, they they've traded away our foundational piece of the face, face of our franchise. They're basically saying we don't believe you're a playoff team. And the players, they they certainly seem to respond to that,
1: Joel. Well, I mean, we remember Manning responded to that late in the Super Bowl year. You remember the feud with Kubiak. And and teams are like that. Mark, I'm sure you've been a part of teams like that. I've been a part of teams like that where it's almost like you need a villain or a galvanizing point to your team and the culture in your locker room, and sometimes it has to be the head coach or the GM or whomever it is or it's the athletic director whom you just kind of like hate and despise, and that's what brings you together. Maybe that's the case with the Broncos as they looked up and they they saw an organization that clearly didn't think that they could get the job done even though they were in position to to make a playoff run, and now they're still squarely in that mode.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any question they're in that mode. Um So, as far as as far as the Broncos are concerned, and, and the defense is concerned, like you just look at that defense, the the job they did against Dak Prescott, and we talked about this yesterday. Is it the Dallas Cowboys just weren't necessarily ready to play? They they overlooked the Broncos. They didn't come out with energy. There was a bunch of drops, or was this the the Broncos something they can do on a regular basis, and just them? essentially setting the tone and and being kind of large and in charge in that game?
1: I think it would be naive of us to think that the Broncos are that dominant on defense, that they could replicate that level of dominance. I think it was equal parts maybe the fact that Denver played so much better, in particular uh, in the secondary. That secondary finally lived up to its most expensive in the NFL price tag. Um, but also the fact that I didn't feel like Dallas played well at all. They certainly weren't ready to play. The drops certainly hurt them. Their offensive line did not play particularly well, and when that happens, you're going to get beat. So it was kind of a perfect storm, at least that's the way it viewed to me, of a team not being ready, clearly overlooking their opponent, and then that team playing their best game. And when that happens in a league in which there's not a lot of margin between the average teams and the quality teams, you, know, you can get beat in a hurry, and that's what happened to Dallas. But I I do think it would be naive to think for us that, oh, well, that's what Denver is, and that's what they can replicate, and that's what we should expect on a week-in, week-out basis. Now, I think that they can be better than what they have been, but to to replicate what they did against what I believe and I think you believe is one of the better offenses in the league is going to be very tough.
0: To this point, has Teddy Bridgewater met your expectations or even exceeded your expectations,
1: or failed to meet them. That's a great question. I, I have I have not thought of that. I I think that he's probably met, uh, if not just below met. But I don't think that he has exceeded uh, the expectations. But I also believe, and and I think you guys can probably guess where I'm going with this. But I. I don't think he's been given the proper game plans to succeed. I don't think that the Broncos have have done the the correct things as far as what their mentality and blueprint is on a week in week out basis. Maybe this week and and their success with with a blueprint that I would suggest for them moving forward, maybe their success last week will drive them towards that. But there's been times when I feel like Teddy is being asked to do things that he shouldn't be asked to do. And so, therefore, it's tough for me to, to sit there and say, like, well, he hasn't met the ex- expectations. Um, so I think that he's done about what we should have expected, uh, maybe just below that. But, again, I think that he's been put into a, a hard position by what I feel like is, is a lack of creativity, a lack of commitment to the run game. Um, and and overall lack of understanding of complementary football when you're going to try to win with defense, which I think was the plan going into this year, the the inability to create a high volume of of run looks and disguises and dressing, I think is is frustrating.
0: How much you put on big Fangio? I mean ultimately you know you talk about Pat Shermer and the game planning that goes on there and the lack of commitment to the run but how much do you put on Vic Fangio because every coach or every organization I've ever been a part of had that one coach uh, whether it was your OC whether it was uh you know the old line coach usually it was the old line coach that would you know be screaming at the head coach or the play caller we have got to stay true to this like how much is on Vic Fangio
1: for letting it happen? Well, the buck ops uh, obviously stops with him. And and he he is the – so he's like the foreman. If you want to take a bad analogy, and you guys know I, I love myself, a bad analogy. Mm-hmm. If you want to say that, like, this is a construction crew, the coaching staff is like a construction crew, and they're, they're building a game plan every single week. Well, the head coach's job is to make sure that every subcontractor is doing his job so that the other subcontractors can do their job on time and ultimately that – the entirety of the project finishes. So you're the thirty thousand foot view. You're the general, and 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 at that point, if if the plumber is doing something that is not advantageous for the entire house, then you've got to get on them and you've got to do that, or the framer, or whatever it is. And and that's what I've I've kind of viewed the head coach through that lens. I I, I don't love. Head coaches that call their own plays, but a lot of them are successful. But I've always thought that there needs to be somebody that's that's overlooking the entirety of the construction project. What is what needs to happen today overall in this game from a special teams defensive offensive perspective in order to help us win? That's the head coach's job. And and from from that perspective, it, it falls on him. So while we can get on Shermer all we want. The directive needs to come from the head coach. And generally strong-willed head coaches or, you know, I'm sure it was Alex Gibbs at times with you uh, back in the past, the the offensive line coach. You've got to have somebody that has that that mindset and that outlook in order to pound the table and ask for things that's going to be advantageous to the overall blueprint.
0: Were you given a warm welcome in Lincoln calling Nebraska and Ohio State last weekend? (laughs) You know, uh,
1: weirdly, yes, I have, I have been, you know, I've, I've given lots of thoughts on the Nebraska situation where they're at coaching situation, so on and so forth. And their fans have always been appreciative of that, which is interesting. And also I would say, even when we played there, there's some of the most cordial and knowledgeable fans that I ever played in front of. And which makes a lot of sense because the N stands for knowledge. It's <laughs> a good point. Wait a minute.
0: Thank you. You just said that, and I've heard this said a lot, that Nebraska fans are very nice, very hospitable, and yet you just had to go out and diss them like that. Why? Yeah, Mike, I went to
1: school in Boulder. It's what we do. (laughs) But they weren't mean to you. Mike, you you, you failed to see the the, the correlation here. I get it. I get it. I get it.
0: Hey, uh, are you okay with Ohio state replacing
1: Michigan state in the college football playoff rankings? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fine. Um, the committee is is really bad at their job, right? They, oh, okay. they put Michigan State behind Michigan. I, it was nine days ago I yeah. saw those two teams play. They have the exact same record. Now you're telling me Michigan is better than Michigan State. It's such a joke. Auburn's ranked. Penn State's not. We saw that game. They've got the same record. Uh, Penn State has, has better wins than Auburn, but Auburn plays in the good old mighty SEC. It's really such a joke. You know, it, it, this committee – continually goes out there and just erodes the trust in the system or in the institution of this playoff. And and you're starting to see that wane. And that's why it's gonna have to get blown up at some point because they're just completely untrustworthy. You and there think are the, guys you that you I know SEC... on that committee that are really good, like really good people. But my gosh, the system is so bad. Do you think the SEC is overrated? Um I think that the narrative for them perpetuates on top of itself there is zero argument that you can make on advanced stats head to head, any metric where you would rank Auburn ahead of Penn State or Arkansas ahead of Penn State other than narrative so I don't want to say that they're overrated as much as this this narrative perpetuates and an overranking of their teams. I mean, the burden of proof let me give you an example. If you were to go and just read and consume college football information from reporters, journalists on Sunday after all the Saturdays games, you would have read articles that were worded with with, with an incredible bias. You know how Alabama gutted out a tough win against a tough team in LSU, who by the way fired their coach and now has, I believe, five losses. Meanwhile, Ohio State survived against a Nebraska team who hasn't lost to anyone, um, by more than a possession. And by the way, had played three ranked teams in the, in the top eight of the college football playoff rankings this season and had lost by a total of 13 points. So they survived and yet Alabama really toughed it out. And, and th- this style of narrative perpetuates throughout college football, and a lot of it is is that you know the the main consumers of information in our sport tend to be um, southern. You know, Birmingham is always one of the the highest rated markets for any game in college football, and and a lot of the the coverage is is centered around that mindset. Um, so those are frustrating things for me. And I think that those narratives are things that I tend to try to like push back against or fight against. Right. People say that I have a, a big 10 bias and I know you you've got to get to a break. Everyone's rolling their eyes, but I, I feel like I try to just call balls and strikes.
0: I just actually really wanted to cut you off. Cause I, I just got a text that I think is going to make your day, your week, maybe your year. And this text reads, I watched the Nebraska game this weekend with my father-in-law, who is from Nebraska. He said, "Screw Joe Clatt."
1: <laughs> well, you that's like that? I was two and zero in Lincoln. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! On that note, thank um, you, Joe. See you, Joe. I'm am old enough to remember ending your 50 year bull streak. Ooh.
0: Ooh. Ouch! Get any more? We can we can blow the break for if you get any more.
1: Well, I did prank call the governor of Nebraska one time live on the air, got reprimanded for it, not when I was at the fan. I got reprimanded for other things at the fan, <laughs> fan. Um, but I did uh, live on the air without him knowing we were on the air, ask him if if there are two Nebraska grads that do end up, unfortunately, getting a divorce, are they still cousins?
0: Oh, <laughs> man. Well, on that note... Banned or not banned? See you later, Joel. Later. Joel Clatt, presented by Audi Flatirons. Matt Moore, our, uh, NBA and Nuggets insider joins us to, uh, make heads or tail. What comes next now after this Nikola Jokic one game suspension? That's next. Denver Sports Station, Sports Radio, 104 through the fan. Hello, this is Ryan Watson, Vice President and General Manager of Audi Flatirons and Audi Boulder Service. When was the last time a dealership delivered the experience you were looking for? Have you ever felt that buying a car was solely about making the sale? It should be about the relationship, beginning with your commitment to do business with us and continuing through the years to follow. Our team is dedicated to exceeding your expectations from the first mile to the last. Come see us in person or visit us online at AudiFlatirons.com or AudiBoulderService.com.